Good morning again, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're connecting there and everybody that's connecting with us online. I love that clip. It's from a movie several years back called Fun with Dick and Jane. And it's based on the, uh, the crash of the, uh, the IT companies that happened years ago. And so many people took such a great loss here. Companies like Enron and companies like that when they crashed and, and the effect that it had. And, and it ties right in with our subject today. We are in a series called Breaking Bad Habits. And each week we've looked at a different habit that we're working on breaking. And each week as we look at these, we're learning that it's not enough just to get rid of the old habit. The goal is to replace it with something better. Because if you don't, you leave a void there. And if you leave a void, then it gets filled again, sometimes with all the wrong things or worse things than before. Well, the habit we're talking about today is one that I think hits home with a lot of us. It's the habit of worry, worrying about things. Now, I'm not talking about just a casual kind of worry. We're talking about where worry begins to take control, where every day you lose your sense of peace and joy and contentment because you get so caught up in worrying about things. There's a comedian named Carl Hurley who asked his audience one night, have you ever tried to throw away a garbage can? I love this. Here's what he said. It's almost impossible. I set an old rusty can out at the street one morning, totally empty, thinking the garbage men would understand it needed to be thrown away. When I came home that afternoon, they had put it back next to the house with the other cans. The next week, I turned it upside down so they could see that the bottom had several holes in it. That afternoon, there it was again next to the house. I took a sledgehammer and beat the can in pretty good and left it out front. And when I came home, I found that the garbage man had straightened out the can and put it back with the others. Finally, I went to the hardware store, bought a heavy chain and a padlock, chained the garbage can to a large tree in the front yard, and sure enough, that night, somebody stole it. <laughs> Some things are just hard to get rid of, aren't they? And worry is one of those things. Uh, it's hard to get rid of. Now, some people don't worry as much as others, but some people have more of a personality trait that lends itself toward being a worrier. So if you're not one of those that struggles with worry, I'm sure you know somebody who does. You, you can learn some things today that can help you help somebody else. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter 6. You can pull that up on your smartphone or tablet or open up your Bibles there. We're in the Sermon on the Mount in these passages. We're looking at a, a series of teachings that Jesus did on a hillside there and got the name of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking especially at, at several verses here that deal specifically with worry. Let's pick up with verse 25 where he starts out with the instruction not to worry. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? So he starts out with referring to this idea, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Now, anytime therefore is in Scripture, what should you do? All right? See what it's there for, all right? 
So what he's doing is referring back to what he was talking about just before that. He's talking about how we don't need to focus on storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust and, you know, decay it and then thieves can break in and steal. If you put all your hope, all your trust in the stuff you have here on earth, uh, you can lose it all very quickly, very easily. Like in the clip, something can happen that all of that dissolves very quickly. And if that's where your hope is, it could be crushing to you in your life. He says, instead, put your tre- store up treasures in heaven. And that's a, a whole different way of living. It's a whole different concept about what's valuable and what you need to be focused on. So then he says, the reason we shouldn't worry about those things is because of our heavenly father. So he says, therefore, don't worry about these other things. Why? Because God. Because God is. Because God is your father. Because God is a faithful God, a trustworthy God, a God who takes care of his children. Therefore, since God is God, since we know him to be God, since we know who he is as God and we have a a record of his history as God, therefore, we shouldn't have to be so consumed with worry about the common everyday things of life. So you have to understand when Jesus starts out talking about food, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. We live in a culture a lot different than theirs. They were mostly an agricultural culture. Now, we have some concerns with this, but in their culture, they didn't have ways of like freezing food and storing food for long periods of time. So every year's crops were critical to them having enough to last through the off season, right? So if they didn't get a good crop that season, they didn't know how in the world they were going to make it to the next time they could harvest a crop. You just couldn't store up a lot of food back then that would last for a long period of time. And even the food you could store, if the crops didn't do well that year, maybe you had a little left over from the year before, but maybe you didn't. And so you're concerned about stretching it enough to get through. And there wasn't a way you could just go get some more food somewhere unless you also had put back some money that you could go to somebody else and buy some of that. And most of them were not living with an abundance of extra money that they could go and do that with. So the tendency would be to really worry about what food you're going to eat. Now, we have people that we know, and maybe even some listening to the message today, who do have a legitimate concern about what they're going to eat today or tomorrow or the next day. But the majority of people in America, it's not as big a worry for us the way we live today as it was for them in that culture. So you have to read it within the context of the culture. They, they, they would even be more consumed often with what are they going to eat, what are they going to drink, because... They could not store, even if they wanted to, quite like we could, and make it stretch out as long as we can make things stretch out. I, uh, I have some uh, grandchildren in college now, and, and any of you know, if you went to college, you probably did that. It's been around a long time. I, I, I took one of my grandsons back to college the, a few weeks back after the Christmas break, you know, took him back to school, and, and uh, I said, how are you on supplies in your dorm room? And he says, well, I could use some food. I said, well, you got a meal plan. He says, yeah, but, you know, I don't want to just always eat there. I'd like to have some other stuff. And so we went to a local Walmart there and stocked up on, guess what? 
Ramen noodles, there you go. <laughs> Ramen noodles. I mean, we bought it by the case, right? Uh, cheap and uh, easy to heat up in a microwave in a dorm room, right? You could add, add a little water to it, throw it in the microwave, stir it up. You got you some ramen noodles to eat there. And, uh, man, and I looked while well, I helped them take it into the dorm room, and every student's room we passed by, guess what they had? Ramen noodles right there. And here's the thing. It's something you could get cheap and store up and use because that stuff, I don't know how many preservatives I got in it, but it lasts forever, right? It's just, we're not talking healthy. We're talking about food, right? Something to eat. And, and so it'll last a long time. Well, they didn't have the ability to store a lot of things like that. So he's talking about the stress that would come up when you're worried about stuff like that. And then he shifts to clothing. And again, they didn't have nearly the, the way that they, we do. A lot of us have closets with clothes hanging in them or boxes with clothes in them, drawers with clothes in them that we haven't worn in a year, sometimes longer. I mean, we, just, we got clothes, right? That's why here at Lakeshore, we do a couple of clothing drives every year because I know if I didn't do that here at Lakeshore, some of you would hang on to all that stuff for another year and another year and another year, right? And, and you don't need it. I'm the same way. I got stuff hanging in my closet that I'm not going to wear anytime soon. Why not let somebody else get some good out of it? But they didn't have a lot of that unless you were on the wealthier end of things. Most of their homes didn't have space where you would have a lot of clothes. You would have just mainly the things you would wear on a daily basis and maybe an outfit you would wear to the synagogue if you were Jewish. And, and that was about it. You know, a couple of three outfits would be about it. And they would wear that over and over again. Now, often it would be good quality, so it would last, but it wouldn't be of a lot of variety to it. And so there is that danger always. Well, will we always have clothing? Will we always have what we need to wear? And he says, you don't need to worry about so much about what you wear. One of the things that helped me more with this than anything else uh, is many years ago is when I went on the first mission trip that I went on to uh, another country that was not as well off as the United States. And and in that country, I went to the Dominican Republic and, uh, and, and went across the border into Haiti there a little bit. But, but even in the Dominican, the average person that we would visit in their home and the average person who would attend the services there at that church didn't have a lot of clothes. And we could tell when we went into their home because they didn't have a lot of them, even a closed off closet space where they kept it. It was just hanging in a little space in the house there that was open that everybody could see. And that's all the clothes they had. And I got back home and opened up my closet and felt about this big, right, for complaining sometimes about not having all the stuff I wanted to wear. It's perspective, isn't it? So here Jesus is trying to say, even in your culture, even where you don't have a lot of that stuff, it still should not consume you with worry about having that stuff. Certainly if that's true for them in that culture, how true is it for us? Right? It should be even more so for us and the culture we live in that we shouldn't be consumed with worry about that stuff. Jesus is stressing that we shouldn't worry so much about our food or our wardrobe. Uh, I, I love a passage in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, where Paul talks about this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So where is he telling us to turn when we get worried? 
Turn to God, right? Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He's the one you go to. How, how can you go to Him? Prayer, right? You can pray to Him all the time, anytime. Now, some people have grown up in a church culture background where you had to go to somebody else and say, here's what my concerns, you pray for me. You know, they go to a priest or somebody like that who will pray on their behalf. But that's not anywhere in scripture that you just can't go yourself. And here's why, Jesus is the one who gives you access to the Father, not the priest, not Pastor Randy, not anybody else, but Jesus. So you all have access to Jesus, which means through him you have access to your heavenly Father. You can go directly to him with those things that are concerning you, making you anxious or worried about the stuff in your life. First Peter 5, 7, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him, and he gives us the reason, because he cares for you. That's why. Do you believe that about your Heavenly Father? Do you believe that about Jesus? He really cares for you? How else can you explain the cross? How else can you explain the whole gospel story? except that he really cares for you. Or none of that would have transpired, none of that would have been part of his plan to redeem us and save us. So you can cast all your anxiety. He's not saying you won't ever have anxiety. He's not saying you won't ever get worried about stuff. He's saying, you have a heavenly father, don't forget when you're feeling that, who do you go to? You go to him. Why? because he really cares for you. He really does. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 10, even way back then, it says this, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. In other words, even when you're a young, strapping young man, there's still gonna be things that can make you worry, but here's why you don't need to put your trust in being young and healthy and all that, because even that will, can be gone before you know it. You need to know your Heavenly Father. Therefore, because you have a Heavenly Father, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear. Don't let worry about those things consume you. Of course, We'll be concerned about some things. There's a difference between this kind of worry that becomes sinful and just being concerned in a healthy way. Uh, here's one way I've heard it illustrated. Maybe, maybe this will help you. If you're concerned that your car is making a noise that it shouldn't make, should you be concerned about that? Yes, you should. Uh, I've, I've emphasized that to my wife and my kids many times. If the little light on the dash comes on, should you take notice of that? Yeah, don't just put something over it and cover it up, okay? It may make you feel better, but that's not the answer, right? So if you are concerned about that, can you do something about that? Of course, you could get somebody to check it out. Take it to a mechanic. Try to find somebody you trust that you believe will be honest with you about it and let them check it out. Maybe there's an easy fix there for that. And then what happens to the worry? The light's off, you've got your worry gone too, so you're, you're doing better now. That's a legitimate concern. Uh, you have concerns about your health, something's going on there, can you do anything about that? Yeah, you can go see a doctor, you can get a checkup, you can have some tests run if you need to. I'm not saying every little ache and pain you need to run to the doctor, I'm saying, but if there's a legitimate problem going on, of course, you can do something about that, you can get that checked out. 
another example would be, you're working on your budget, and it looks like you're not going to be able to pay all the bills. Can you do something about that? Yes, and I'm not talking about borrowing money and using credit cards here. What I'm talking about is maybe you can adjust the budget some, right? You can do some things there. Maybe there's some expenditures you don't have to do right then that will allow you to pay the bills that month. Maybe there's, there's other sources. Maybe you could work an extra job. Maybe you could do some Uber uh, driving or, or food delivery, something you know, to supplement it. There's lots of options there, right? There are things you can do yourself. Here's the problem, though, where it can get into a simple thing. You go to the doctor or you go, you know, get the car checked out or you, you look at the budget and you think you got it figured out. And, and even if you see ways you can make it work, is it still just consuming you? Is it still just eating at you? Is it still just a, a, a worry that's controlling your life? Some of your students, you got an exam coming up, you're concerned about passing the exam. Can you do something about that? Well, sure, right? Study, prepare. Uh, did you hear me? Study, prepare, do your work, show up for class. You know, you can do those things to be ready for it. It doesn't guarantee you're going to do well, but it can help alleviate some of the worry. But Jesus is saying, therefore, since you have a heavenly father, you should do the stuff you can do, but then you have to remember there's a heavenly father there. He's not saying sit around and let God just take care of all that. He's saying, when you've done all you can do, therefore remember you have a heavenly father who cares for you, who loves you, who's faithful to his children. You can count on him. Sometimes concerns get exaggerated and they become what is really a sinful kind of worry. It's like the hypochondriac's tombstone that had the epithet on it. I told you I was sick. <laughs> Finally, he was right, right? Finally, at the end, he was right. He really was sick. But you don't want to live your life like that the whole time. You see, worry focuses on the uncertain and the uncontrollable. It's the what ifs in life that caused the problem with worry. What if? Right now, I've got a good job, but what if with the pandemic like it is, they cut back and they start layoffs and I was the last hired, so I'm going to be the first. What if that happens? What if I'm pretty healthy right now, but I know a friend that just died suddenly. They didn't think he was sick at all and died in his sleep and they don't know what happened. What if that happens to me, right? We can, we can just rehearse the what ifs over and over and over again. My marriage is good right now, but what if as we get older, uh, my wife doesn't think I'm the handsome young man that I used to be, right? What if that happens? She's not happy with me anymore. What if, what if terrorists strike again in our country? What if the pandemic comes back strong again or our new pandemic comes along what you know we can just go on and on and on and be consumed by it so that's why Jesus is taking so much time here with therefore I don't want you worrying about all that stuff in a way that's just consuming you and robbing you of the joy of living the way I want you to live I don't want that to control you 
So let's look at our text again. Look at verse 26 and 27 of Matthew 25. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Jesus is immediately bringing up the problem with worry. And there are a lot of problems with worrying. I, I just want to share four problems with worry. There's, a lot, there's more than that, but this is general categories of problems with worrying about stuff in a, in a negative, sinful kind of way. Here's the first reason worry is a problem. It accomplishes nothing good. I'm not talking about that concern that caused you to take the action you could take. I'm talking about the worry that happens after you've done all you can do, right? You've done what you can, and you're still worrying and fretting about stuff. It does absolutely no good to let worry control you like that. I have never worried my way into a better situation. Have you? I've never worried my way into a cure for a health problem. I've never worried my way in to paying the bills that I couldn't pay before. But by worrying, I was then able to pay them. I've never worried so much about my marriage falling apart that it made my marriage better. You see, worry accomplishes nothing of good value for your life. In fact, it can do more harm than it can good. I've read this several times. I've seen several versions of it. The percentages are usually about the same, but I saw one recently that said this, 40% of the things we worry about will never happen. 30% of the time we worry about things in the past that we can't change anyway. 12% of the time we worry about other people's opinions of us, things that we can't control and don't really matter anyway. 10% of the time we worry about our own health, which gets worse when we get stressed out thinking about it and worrying about it. 8% are problems that we worry about, which we can actually soon face. And that means 92% of the things we worry about never come to pass or are totally out of our control anyway. And for those other few percentages, we have a Heavenly Father who cares about us, who loves us. Somebody said, worries like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. That's about all the good it is. Here's another problem, though, with worry, and, it, and it's not always the case. Just moments of worry are, aren't saying this. But worry, extended worry, ongoing worry, can reveal a lack of faith in your life. It really exposes a lack of faith. I'm not talking about the moments of worry. Everybody gets those. That's why Jesus is teaching on it. That's why we have Scripture talking about it, because everybody deals with this. But when you let it just consume you and you're living with that worry all the time, it reveals a lack of faith. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that word rest means to be at ease, not consumed with worry or anxiety. You don't have to live like that. Why? Therefore, you have what? A heavenly Father. Or you don't have to live like that anymore. Maybe before you knew God and God's faithfulness, that's how you live. But, but now that you know him, if you put faith in him, you shouldn't be living like that anymore. That's why Jesus often used that little phrase, oh, you of little faith, when he was addressing people that were worried about the wrong things in the wrong way. 
He's saying, why don't you have more faith than that? You have a heavenly father. Don't you trust him? Don't you believe him to be who the Bible says that he is? Then why are you being consumed by this worry? Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. I think a lot of times it's because we don't stop and think about the Heavenly Father. We're just trying to fix it ourselves. We're just trying to keep control ourselves. And we can't control those things. But God can and God does. There's another problem with worry, and that is that it hurts your relationships with other people. When you go around just worrying about stuff all the time, you are not much fun to be around. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not much fun to be around somebody that just is always worried about stuff all the time. And, and it's not always big things. A lot of times it's the accumulation of little things that are just always keeping you stirred up and worried. In psychology, there's a term called stress contamination. And what that is, is how one or two of those things would not have really had you consumed with worry, but you've let all the things add up to cause you this great anxiety, this great struggle, this great worry that you're dealing with. You've let it accumulate and pile up on you over time. And, and now it's got a hold of you and your heart and your mind is consumed by it. It's overwhelming you. And when you're living like that, you're just not able to be much fun to be around and you're not able to be much of an encouragement to anybody else. And that's why worry can be a real problem in your life. There's a, one more problem with worry and that is it hinders your witness for Christ. When you go around just fretting and worrying all the time, what kind of testimony is that? to those who don't know Jesus and don't know your God that you know. You say you know him. You say you're a Christ follower. You say you belong to him and he cares for you. But people at work and people in your family and your friends, they, all they see and hear from you is how worried you are all the time. What does that say about your God? What does that say about the Lord of your life? If you're still going around worried all the time and you say you know him already and you follow him already, why hasn't anything changed for you? You're living like everybody else who doesn't know Jesus. Shouldn't there be a distinction? Shouldn't it make a change in people when they come to know Jesus and follow him and they know the faithful God of the Bible? Shouldn't that change? what we worry about and how we worry about things. So I want to challenge you to do this. Uh, I want you to look ahead a little bit here. Uh, the greatest time of evangelism in America where we've had the most success reaching people for Christ is around Easter every year. Now that's not that far down the road. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to start right now praying about how God can use you as a witness between now and Easter to help somebody find their way to Jesus. Now, if it happens before Easter, I'm okay with that. I think God will be okay with that. But Easter seems to be one of those times where 
it gives us an opportunity to talk more about, you know, more people are open to talking about Jesus and what he did and who he was and the resurrection, and they're more open to talking about them. So it gives us a good opportunity as a church to, to help people who have some curiosity about that find out more about Jesus. So let's be praying right now that God could use us in the weeks leading up to Easter to have some impact on some influence over some people who don't yet know Jesus. But your, your success will th with this and my success with this will be determined a lot by how we live our lives during that time in front of those people. And one of the big determining factors is, are they going to see us as people that are worried and fretting all the time during those weeks? Or are they going to see us as people who trust God with what's going on in our lives? Therefore, we have a heavenly father who takes care of those things. We go to him. I'm convinced that one of the reasons the average follower of Christ doesn't lead very many other people to follow Christ is because they haven't seen much difference in how we live and how they live. I'm not just talking about sinful habits. They're there too and they need to be dealt with. I'm also talking about faith, trust. Do they see that we have something we put our faith in, someone in whom we place our faith that they don't have access to, they don't know about, but that has made a difference for us that they would love to have in their lives too? So let's pray about that. Let's work on that. That's the challenge I want to give you leading into it. Not everybody struggles with worry. Like I said, there was this guy who, who was in a locker room one day, and uh, there was a cell phone on the bench there next to him, and he was holding a shampoo bottle and a brush, and the cell phone rang, and he just, he just punched the uh, speaker phone button on there and started talking. There was a female voice on the other end and said, Honey, are you at the club? And he said, uh, Yeah. She said, Oh, good. I'm glad I caught you. I... I'm out shopping and I found this leather coat that I really love and it's on sale. It's only $1,000. Is it okay if I go ahead and get it? He thought for just a second. He said, yeah, that'll be okay. Go ahead and get it. She said, oh, great, honey. That's great. I was, I was so excited. By the way, uh, on the way here, I stopped by the Mercedes dealership. I found the new 2022 model that I really love. They've got one. It was a, de a demo. They've got it marked down. And uh, I, I really want to get this car. Is that something I could do? He said, well, how much is it? She said, well, it's only a smart down. It's 90000 He said, well, if it's the model you really like and it's got all the bells and whistles you want, yeah, go ahead and get it. She said, oh, honey, you're the best. That's great. She said, and oh, by the way, I was online and I saw that that house we've been thinking about buying is, is still on the market. It's available. He said, how much are they asking? He said, she said, $1.5 million. She said, is it okay to go ahead and make an offer on it? He said, yeah, but don't offer the full 1.5. Do 1.2. She said, oh, great. That's great. Love you, honey. Bye-bye. Hung up. Everybody and the other guys in the locker room are just staring at this guy. They can't believe, you know, how he's handled all that. And then he looks at all the guys and he says, does anybody know whose cell phone this is? <laughs> it's easy not to worry about other people's stuff, right? Worry is one of those personal things. It hits us at home. It hits us in the day-to-day -day living of life. And it can ruin our witness as Christ followers. So we need to understand the problem with worry. It doesn't settle anything for us. It doesn't accomplish anything for us. Look at verses 28 to 30. Look at what he goes on to say. 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, he says. Why should you worry when you have a heavenly father? Look at verse 31. So don't worry, he says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? He's repeating for emphasis or what shall we wear? He says, the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Wow, there's a distinction he brings up here. Two observations, really important. The first is that Christians should look distinctively different than non-Christians, right? He says that's how non-Christians live their lives. That's what the word pagans mean. It means somebody who doesn't know God, doesn't know, uh, that doesn't have that relationship with him that, that we have through Christ. He says that's how they live their lives. You shouldn't be living life like that as a Christian, as a believer. You should be living distinctly different than them. And secondly, he says what they do is run after those things. That's what pagans do. You shouldn't be running after those things. In the original language, that phrase run after means to be in hot pursuit of those things with your life. What he's saying is the distinct difference that you should have as a Christian is not that you don't even have those things or even that those things are evil and you think they're bad. They're not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the distinct difference is as you understand that having those things is a blessing, but not having those things doesn't mean your life is worthless or is not valuable or shouldn't be still enjoyed. You shouldn't live life making it all about just getting that stuff. There's more to life than that. There's more important things in life than that, than chasing after those things. John Ortberg said this, you see, for most of us, the greater danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it's that we will all become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for mediocre versions of it. We, we just skim our lives instead of actually living them. So the question is, what do you run after in your life? What is it that you are in hot pursuit of in your life? What is it that's controlling your pursuit in life? Ecclesiastes 2.11, it says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. You know, I think one reason Jesus, though he was concerned about things, he wasn't consumed with worry, is because he wasn't chasing after those things. He understood the temporary nature of this world and the things of this world better than anyone. And so he knew the value of those things was so limited, but he knew the value of the eternal things was so much greater. Did you notice something about Jesus? I, I've been watching, Sue Ann and I have been watching The Chosen, and it's, they've done a good job with that. It's been really good. But, you know, they take some liberty with it, but you have to know that. It's, it's, it's made for a movie, right? It's made for a series, so they, they have to take some. We don't have every detail in Scripture that they, they have to fill in some gaps, but I think they do a good job with it. But one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus never seems to be in a hurry. Have you noticed that? He's got a plan, and he goes where he needs to go, but he's not in a real hurry. If you think about it, in Scripture, the only time we see God in a hurry 
is in a story about the lost son. That's the only example I see in all of Scripture where God is ever in a hurry because the father in that story is God. And when that son starts back up the path to come home, what does the father do in that story? He runs after his son. You see, the only thing God is in hot pursuit of is people. Because the souls of men and women are the most valuable thing to him. That's what he pursues. That's what he runs after. So if we're going to be like Jesus, <laughs> what should be the most important thing we're pursuing while we're here on this earth? What should be the thing that matters the most? It's the pursuit of people. You see, Jesus was, was here for just a short time. He knew he was going to be here for a short time. But he didn't see people who came to him as an interruption. He saw them as an opportunity to make a difference in their lives. And he wanted to help them. And so he would pause and spend time with people. So I want to close today just three quick things on the remedy for worry. We're just going to take a few moments with this. I want you to write them down. These are good, okay? The remedy for worry. Let's look at verse 33 here, Matthew 25. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which tells you the first remedy for worry is your focus. Focus on the eternal things not the temporary. When I say focus, I don't mean, don't ever think about the temporary things. Of course, you got to think about your job. You got to think about what you're going to wear when you get up that morning. You got you know, you to put a little thought into that. What I'm saying is don't make that the focus of your life. There's a difference in thinking about it just in passing and merely making it the focus. The focus of your life should be the eternal things, not the temporary things. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus visits in the home of Mary and Martha, and, and Jesus gently chides Martha because she's upset that her sister Mary's not helping her with the stuff in the kitchen and everything, you know, get, you know the housework that needs to be done, all of that. She's just sitting there listening to Jesus, and, and all the work seems to be falling on Martha. And here's what Christ said to her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He doesn't say the other things are evil, does he? He doesn't say they're bad. It's okay. You got to think about those things sometimes. But, but she was focused on what is better, what matters more, what really is, should be the focus of her life and your life, the eternal things. She knew she just had this one chance to sit and talk to Jesus, and she wanted to take it. The dishes could wait. You know, the food could wait. She had Jesus there. She could spend time with Jesus. That was the focus. That was better. Well, that's the first thing. Focus on the eternal, not the temporary. The second one is this. He says, live one day at a time. And that sounds good. It sounds easy. It's kind of like the song, don't worry, be happy, just live life, have fun. You know, that sounds so good. But it's not easy to do. 
to live one day at a time. And living one day at a time doesn't mean when he says, don't worry about tomorrow, uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's not saying you shouldn't make plans. He's not saying you shouldn't buy life insurance. He's not saying you, know, you shouldn't have a retirement account. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is, is you get so consumed with worry about that stuff that you miss today. You miss the life today that God wants you to be living and focused on. You miss opportunities to be with people and talk with people and, and help people and encourage people. You miss the things that matter more because you're so consumed by tomorrow and next year and 10 years down the road that you're not living today, the life that God wants you to live today. So learn to live more one day at a time. But the final thing is the most important thing. Trust that God is in control. Trust that God is really in control. You see, the stuff you worry about, deliverance from those things is not the answer. The answer is the deliverer. That's the answer. It's the person of Jesus. It's the relationship with him. It's, it's the trust and the faith that you place in him. That's why he says, your heavenly father, over and over again, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Your heavenly father is the one who can control these things. Your heavenly father is where the focus of your life and your trust and your faith needs to stay consistently. Because he cares for you. He'll take care of you. When I do funerals a lot of times, I... If I know someone was a Christ follower especially, I talk about heaven and what heaven is described like in Scripture. There are, there are a couple of things about heaven that really stand out in Scripture. And one is they always picture this huge banquet table. It's like a banquet celebration. And there's room for everybody and there's plenty of food for everybody. So what do we worry about in this world all the time? Don't worry about what you're going to what? Eat, right? Well, what was the other thing? Don't worry about what? You're going to wear, right? He says, well, and we're all clothed in their white robes of righteousness when we get there. You know who's in control and who's already got it covered? Your heavenly father. He knows what you need. He's got you covered. He's got it already put back and prepared for you. If you hold on to your faith, you get to that place he's got prepared for you. None of that will be a concern anymore. Let's pray together. Father, we're often frantic and worried and we're stressed. I pray that somehow you'll help calm us, help us see the big picture that you truly are in control, help us to turn everything over to you, to place our trust, our faith in a heavenly Father who watches over us. And Father, if there's anybody today who has not placed their faith and their confidence and their trust in you, that today... Therefore, they would know you're there for them. You always have been, and you always will be. May they turn to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.